everyone. Welcome back to the Next Level Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie. It is so wonderful to be back in studio. I took a little hiatus for a couple of weeks and we did a replay of one that I uh, recorded a little while ago. And I feel fantastic. And I have such a wonderful guest today. Something that we are going to be promoting is a fundraiser in town for all of you Las Vegas locals. You'll have to stay tuned. It's very cool supporting the community. We have Steve Gramas. I pronounced that correctly, right? Yes, yes, you did. The president of the Las Vegas Police Protective Association. Nailed it. Got it. I was trying. Nailed PPA. It. This from this moment forward, we're referring to PPA. Better known as the PPA. That works. <laughs> awesome. I love it. So welcome. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, first time I did a podcast with sunflowers in the room, so <laughs> it's a it, it's a good twist. Right? I think it's cute. I don't know. It was left over from the podcast, I think, before, but it, it brings a little spring. <laughs> spring. Yeah. Thank you, Austin, for springing it up a little bit in here. <laughs> Shout out to my producer over there. Um, so, yes, welcome. And so tell us a little bit about your role. You are the president of this union. I am. I'm, uh, I've been with Metro Police for uh, coming up on 25 years in August. Um, I've worked a bunch of different assignments. Before I came up to the union, I worked undercover. I was in narcotics. Um, and then came up to the union in 2014 and took over as president in 2016. And uh, thankfully, my officers have wanted me to stay president for quite a while. So uh, that's where I'm at. And, uh, you know, what we do, our main function is, is we're the, we're the legal defense and the uh, contractual negotiators for all the rank and file police officers and corrections officers for LVMPD, as well as a subset of officers with the city marshals and the uh, city court marshals. That's very cool. Um how is first i want to go back to your time as a police officer you okay. dealt with narcotics I did. Was, how is that i'm sure vegas is crawling with that i mean from my experience what i've seen it is absolutely insane people are abusing them prescribers are not doing it correctly i mean being on the clinician side i've seen all sorts of things too so what was your experience sure um you know speaking of as you said the the clinical side of things um we, we had a task force that actually kind of focused on some doctors here in town mm -hmm. uh they were just over prescribing with no reason um there was an unfortunate incident with a doctor that uh seven in the morning uh, you'd have a line of homeless vets outside of his office uh, literally about 30 40 people deep and uh, he would do a BS eval, write a script to him. That person would go get it filled. They'd turn over the pills to a local dealer. The dealer would give them $100, and that was the rotation. The dealer, the doctor were in on it, and that's what was going on. And, uh, you know, it, it, drugs in, uh, in Las Vegas is a, uh, a very hot topic for me. Uh, I'm I not, uh, not a fan of the drug scene, so it was mm -hmm. kind of interesting to become a an undercover and buying drugs left and right and having people spit drugs in my hand and uh, things like that. But uh, it, it, it's a, uh, to me, it's a fight that should never end because the problem is, is people are getting addicted to this stuff and it's ruining lives. And uh, we got to find a way to try and help those folks. Um, I was talking to somebody today and we talked about, you know, what is, what is the focus of the governor? Uh, and I can tell people that the governor's focus is trying to help those addicted but also get those selling to those people off the streets and mm -hmm. trying to deal with them as best as possible. So, uh, but it's a uh, it's a fun town between the clubs and the pool clubs, and we've done operations everywhere. So it, it was an interesting time in my life. So how did you manage that, where you were having to play a role that you completely disagreed with and had zero attraction to? I mean, how did you manage the internal battle? You know, it was. Uh, I always look at it, I have four daughters. Uh, my wife is a retired dispatcher now, and uh, I always just look at it as trying to do the right thing to try and get some of these people off the streets so that mm -hmm. they can't prey upon people like my kids and my wife mm -hmm. and my family members. Uh, so, you know, you do a little acting. You get into that role. You really... Did um, you have to take any acting classes? I did not. No. I've, <laughs> I've always been uh, a pretty decent actor. I, I think uh, my family could probably tell you that. I was on an episode of Sesame Street when I was 10. Maybe you guys have heard. Uh, pretty <laughs> no, you pretty legitimate. Um, so, you it's know, on I, your comp card. It started early. I should have had headshots done for it. But, uh, <laughs> um, but no, it was, uh, you know, you, you knew you had a job to do, and you kind of just realized that you're trying to talk to these people like you're a drug dealer, and you're trying to buy what you can. And uh, in the in the end, trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger and get the bigger person off the street so that you can make a difference in the community. So uh, it was fun, though. It was a good time. I bet you saw some pretty wild things. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, uh, you 
one of the one of the times we were working at a pool club and uh, uh, Jose Canseco was there, and a very attractive young lady was trying to hit on Jose Canseco while we're talking to Jose Canseco. And the same young lady was also trying to get us some cocaine in the club for us so she could hang out in our bungalow. Uh, but uh, when she was hitting on Jose, she had about a 10-foot trail of toilet paper stuck to her foot. <laughs> and uh, while she's trying her thing, I said, hey, you might want to take care of your foot there. And he looks down and goes, that's so nasty, and runs away from her. So oh it, was, it was kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. Did you see any... Um... I guess anyone get hurt in your your time. I mean, I'm sure it's it's part of what you are and what you do as a police officer. But in terms of your specific role being undercover, do people get killed? They get harmed? Were there like stabbings or gang members? Like how how was that whole no, violent it, piece to you it? know for for what we did, which was getting introduced to bad guys. Um, I I had one deal where uh, I was I was introduced to a couple guys that uh, were wanted for a murder case out of another state. Um, and I was buying from them. And while I was talking to the driver of, in the car, uh, the passenger was sitting there with a gun pointed at me the whole time because I was a new person and a new face to them. And so, you know, you try and just work your way through that without freaking out. And, uh, you know, you realize at the end of the day, they're trying to sell just like any business. And I'm trying to create new business for myself in my role. And so, you know, you kind of chill them out and, you know, see if you can buy that gun from them and, you know, work your way through things. Wow. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fun times. <laughs> no kidding. And how long did you do that for? Uh, it? I was a UC for about a year and a half um, before I, uh, uh, I'll show you a photo of me off camera of what I used to look like and uh, uh, quite different than what I look like now. Oh, wow. You had to really like get grungy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. It, it was a catch-22 because you didn't want to look like you were uh, a typical street user. Uh, because then who's going to believe I have $10,000 to buy dope from you if mm -hmm. I look like a, a common user. So uh, it was a it was a fine line of not looking like a cop, but also not looking like someone that couldn't afford to buy some uh, decent quantities. So what was your role? Like, who were you? What was your persona? I told people that uh, my girlfriend uh, worked in the clubs and uh, I needed to buy. She would kick down to all of her uh, waitress friends, cocktail strippers and things like that. And that's how we would make our money back. And so um, that, that was my shtick for most of the people, which was very believable in, in this city. Did anyone ever ask what your job was or like cross check where you worked? No, well, they, they would ask questions, you know, you know, mm -hmm. Hey, well, what do you do? I said, well, what do you think I do? I do the same thing you're doing. I sell dope. You know, I just don't do it like you're doing it. I give it to my girls and they sell it and they bring me the money back. Oh. And so, yeah, you, you, you work on, you work on those scenarios on if you're questioned, um, if they ask you to use drugs, things like that. So, um, you, did, did you ever get pressured into using drugs like yeah. on the spot? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. 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 So you tested them all, made sure you had the right stuff. No, 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 no. You, uh, <laughs> like I said, uh, without revealing any of our, our secrets, you, okay. you work your way <laughs> Dang, through. Dang. You wanted work, to get those secrets. <laughs> you work your way through. I can tell you, I've never done a drug in my life. Uh, so. Uh, Me too. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I, uh, but you learn how to walk yourself through that scenario and trying to appeal to that person about why I'm not going to do it or why I can't do it. And so you work on those things in advance. So when it pops up, you're ready for it. Really? And yeah. they believed you? Oh, yeah. So what, what would you say? I can't tell you, you that. Oh, you can't? Yeah, no, can't because I don't want one of my guys sitting in a car, you know, tomorrow using the same line. They're like, hey, I listened to Dr. Leslie. <laughs> and I heard that guy say what you just said. That's uh, but true. Uh, one, one dear friend of mine, he's, he's retired now. Uh, he, was a, he was a UC. And uh, he actually had a guy uh, tell him to take off his clothes for a deal. It was a high level deal. And like to look for wires or something or Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh and so he he did and his gun fell out. And so the bad guy pulls his gun on him and he's like, "What are you doing with a gun?" He says, "The same thing you're doing with a gun. Protecting myself in case I get robbed." Nice. And the guy goes, "Oh, good point." And they fill, finish the deal, you know? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you like I said, it's it's not a uh it's my a game. Yeah. All my, a game of chess. <laughs> My brother worked in narcotics with us, my older brother, uh, and he actually, at the end of his career, worked for me at the union. Um, and he didn't have the gift of gab to be a UC. Mm. Um, and so he had to be on a, on a deal with that same guy I was just telling you about. And he was just in the backseat kind of like as a watcher, or a lookout type of guy. And so the guy comes in the car, and the guy goes to shake his hand. And the, the story is, is that as he goes to shake his hand, my brother does this. So then the guy does that, and he does this, and they 
keep going back and forth. And so the UC goes, listen, pay no attention to my special friend. He doesn't know what the hell's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was his UC experience. That was it. My special friend. Yeah. There, he used another word, but uh, <laughs> it, it was the special is, is what I'll give you today. The nerves got the best of him, it sounds like. Yeah. It's not, that, it's not built for everybody. You know, yeah, like I, I said, you not. know, some people, uh, some people just can't do it. You can't talk on the spot, can't BS, um, get nervous. Like I said, the gun pointed at you, you know, you, pre- you prepare for that stuff too. Uh, and so you, you get ready for it. And if you're not, yeah, then all of a sudden, uh, I need help. I need help. You don't want that. You want to stay chilly and just kind of keep them chilly. And you know, How did you prep for that? Like you can't. You have a scenario based in your head that if this happens, here's how I'm going to respond. So did the f- police force prep you on some of those scenarios, what that would look yeah, like? You, what you do is you kind of talk with other UCs and you mm. talk about some things, some trends across the country, things that have happened. And okay, if we end up in that situation, what do we do? Here's how I'm going to respond. Here's mm-hmm. a couple avenues I can respond. Um, and so you just, the big thing is just keeping calm. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. So doing a podcast is easy. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> You're just acting the whole time. That's right. I really hate sunflowers. <laughs> I just said that because, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Great. And they're sitting right across from you. I love it. <laughs> Uh, it's a threat it's like a gun to you right uh, yes 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 yes, no doubt no doubt about it (laughs) i love same fears are going through my head right now looking at the right (laughs) right oh i love it okay so let's go back to the union so you talked a little bit about how you provide legal defense Mm -hmm. for the police officers that might get into a situation where they need to be defended sure so can you talk about some of the situations that might arise where a police officer might need some legal defense? Sure. We, uh, you know, we look back um, uh, many years ago, we had an officer that was uh, charged with um, manslaughter and uh, a charge called oppression under the color of office. Okay. Uh, he chased down uh, a sus- suspect through the casinos, ended up getting in a fight with him. Uh, the guy ended up dying. And our department charged him. Uh, with a crime saying that the tactics he used were not trained, which this guy had a background in jiu-jitsu, our officer, uh, and tried to apply a rear naked choke to the guy, which you would commonly see in the UFC and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't like it. Sheriff Lombardo at the time didn't like it. And uh, our criminal team charged him. And so I went down and bailed him out. I sat in a jail cell with him for about two hours until we got him processed out. And then we supplied his uh, legal defense uh, we brought in, I'm, I'm uh, very good friends with Frank Mir, former UFC uh, heavyweight champion. Uh, we went to high school together. Our daughters played football together. Uh, his daughter's now at University of Iowa as a wrestler, and she'll be a pro fighter. But uh, I brought Frank in, and I said, hey, man, I, I need you to talk about that technique that he put on because he didn't do it right, I don't believe. Uh, and, and he did. Frank came in, and he said, yeah, no, in, in my uh, expertise, you know, he testified to the grand jury. We don't know what his testimony is because it's secret, of course. But um, that those are the things that we did. We went and hired two specialist medical examiners out of San Diego to show that this subject didn't die from a chokehold. He died from an enlarged heart. He had a very uh, long history of drug usage, and his heart blew up. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's one of the venues that we'll do that type of stuff. You know, when you're acting in the course and scope of your duty and you're doing your job, no matter if anyone else feels that you weren't, if we do, then we defend you. So there are circumstances where you may not provide legal defense to someone? For sure. Oh, yeah. For sure. So how is that determined? Uh, it, was it in the course and scope of your duty? So meaning, were you doing what you were supposed to be doing? Um, we had cases in the past where uh, officers, not officers, an officer uh, was accused of uh, – fondling women's breasts on duty on car stops outside of outside of uh, uh strip clubs and uh that that's not something we stand up and defend you on uh other officers uh accused of you know using a narcotic or um doing crazy criminal stuff uh that's not what we're here for you know if you're doing your job and somebody takes issue with what you did let's say the doj investigate you or whatever uh, and we feel, we evaluate based on what we've seen from the call or the case that you were acting in the course and scope. You could have made mistakes, but if your heart was genuinely trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. in your job, then we stand by you. Well, that's great. Yeah. So what do the people do if you don't provide the legal defense for them? They have to fend for themselves. Yeah, they have to go out and spend probably, uh, for cases like that, I mean, that criminal case I told you about for the officer that I sat in jail with him, we spent close to $200,000 and that, co- that never even went to court. That went to a grand jury, and a grand jury, it was shut down. The grand jury came back with a no bill. So it was 200 k And so I tell the kids, if you got a rich uncle or you got a ton of money in the bank, 
maybe you don't need us. Um, but uh, we do a lot of other things, though, too, for our officers that uh, we take a little bit more benevolent position. We mm -hmm. just did an Easter event for them, Easter Bunny, Jump Houses, food, and we take care of the cost for everything. It's not like, hey, here's a ticket, you get one meal. Our, our folks were eating like 15 corn dogs and we we're talking about health and wellness. They're, cr <laughs> they're crushing corn dogs and ice cream and taco plates. And, uh, but Hey, you know, they're, you know, to each his own. Uh, so I yeah, we do, so. we do a lot more than just that. And we've morphed our association a lot since I've taken it. And I hate, I never say, I, I hate saying I, it's a, we thing, my team, all of us buy in and we all move in the same direction. Um, and when we took over our membership was somewhere around the mid seventies. Uh, and now we hover around 95% of our workforce is all a, a member of our association, which is pretty high for a right-to-work state where they don't have to be a member of the union. So we're, we're very proud of the work we do and how hard our folks work. That's great. So how do you procure your funding for the legal fees? and Dues. Uh, so all, dues. all of our officers pay a certain amount every paycheck. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, of course, we, we invest the money with an investment firm and things like that. But uh, um, – over time, we've built up a, a big war chest of money so that we can do things like um, there was a time and governor knows him and I are friends, uh, but there was a time him and I were not so friendly. And uh, I went out and purchased 17 billboards along I-15 and I was going to make some make some statements about our, our sheriff at the time and our police department, how they were treating our officers. You rebel. Uh, yeah, I'm a, like little, I'm a little nuts up here, and so is the team that works with me, and that's what a lot of people know about us is that we're a little little crazy. But uh, um, So things like that give us that ability to do things like that, and so um, we always hope we don't have to do it, but we know we have the ability to do it if we need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the powers that be know that as well. Uh, yeah, there's a uh, – even the uh, – uh, Senate Majority Leader in the state legislature knows that we'll uh, we'll go to any end to, uh, you know, go after those folks that don't support our first responders and aren't helping our community and mm -hmm. are looking out for themselves or some special interest group. You know, it's just not right. So mm -hmm. um, we're the ones that will stand up for people. I like how you called them out without calling them out. Yeah. You, you were anonymous there. <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> they, they do know. That's awesome. And so were the billboards part of your contract negotiation or that was just a separate you wanted to make a stand and make a point of leverage yes, and it, power? It, it was a, you were just flexing. It, was, just a, flexing. it was a, hey, careful. You're, I, oh, I know, geez. the guns, right? <laughs> uh, it, it, was a, it was a, you know, the team getting together and talking about, hey, what do we think we can do? And so uh, we, had, we had the crazy idea to say, well, they'll give us billboards all along the freeway. We'll pay for them. You know, we could put up whatever we want as long as it's not vulgar, obscene, and that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't going to be, um, but it was going to let folks know how we felt that the executive branch of our department felt about their officers. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it got back to uh, the higher the higher ups that, hey, man, did you really buy 17 billboards? I said, absolutely. And I still have them. Still wow. have them to this day. You know, so uh, it's, uh, but it's good. It's part of the membership. You know, hey, when they want us to go do things uh, to represent them, we go do it. So. That's fantastic. So can you disclose a little bit about what the issue was, even if it's in general, what you felt like your your force was not being treated fairly? In uh, what way? I'll, uh, so yeah, like I said- Like the, a little piece? The, the, the governor and I are, are very good friends. He, uh, I got a private tour of the governor's mansion about a month ago, and Joe's doing a great job uh, as our governor. I'm so thankful every day that he won and that Steve Sisolak did not- um, because there was a lot of harm coming our way for police work from the legislature that would have been signed by him, by Sisolak. And now that Joe's there, we know it's not going to be. Uh, but we had a difference of opinions on what management felt they could do with a contract and what they needed to include in the contract that had been there forever. And they thought they would try and strip it out of there um, and make us fight that fight. And so that kind of prompted us to uh, take action in that, that vein. And then they shifted course uh, fairly quickly. Okay, that was very, very vague. Yeah, that's his best. All right. If, if it Damn was, it. if I didn't like Joe so much and, and uh, the folks there, then, you know, I might have gone to greater detail, but uh, he's a good man and uh, All right. very proud of the work he's doing for us in our state. So, okay, fine. I'll let that one slide. Um, tell me a little bit about the contract negotiation. So, before we hopped on the video, we you were talking a little bit about the different branches and how you negotiate. Like there's a lot of people that you have to talk to to represent your members. Yeah, so um, we whenever we go into a contract, um, we are 
going against the agency, the county, and the city of Las Vegas. So the city and the county fund an, a portion of our contract or of our um, budget. So the city has 40% of the budget and the county has 60%. So they both have a say in the contract negotiations as well as the department when we talk about pay benefits, rules, regulations, and things like that. So we don't have one person that we have to deal with. We have three bodies that bring in about three or four bodies uh, for us to, to negotiate against. So it's uh, we're definitely outnumbered-ish, uh, but we're good at what we do and we know how to do it. Do you sit with them all together or is it separate? Like All together. Okay. Yeah, it's one room. Uh, their whole team is over there. Uh, it looks like uh, Jamie Foxx's entourage. They're all just everywhere. <laughs> and then there's only a couple little old us just walking in going, hi, we just want some more money for our cops. They deserve it, you know, so. Yeah. So if you had a wish list for your cops, what would you add to your negotiation? So we got we to gotta make LVMPD the highest paid police department in the country. Uh, people do jobs and they put their safety and their lives on the line uh, and they'll do it for money because it's worth it. Um, and so right now we're, we're not even the highest paid in the state. And so our, our city and our County got to take a look at that and go, you know what? It's going to cost a lot of money, but dang it, we've got it. We've got to entice people to come want to do this job again. We have about 400 unfilled positions at the police department. No. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're way down. We're way down bodies. And, you know, is it administrative or like actual cops? No, like on police the officers. Yeah, really? Police officers. Um, Do you prefer police officers or cops? I, it doesn't. You're interchanged. I don't I'm know not offended. Okay. I, I'm not offended by it. <laughs> I'm um, trying to copy your language because I don't want to be offensive. Like I use cops, police officer. I don't know. Whatever. I, I don't offend easy. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, my, cops it is. My, cops makes. My wife calls me all names. kinds of names and I respond to anything. So um, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I like her. <laughs> she, I love her. She's great. She's amazing. Uh, but um, but yeah. So we. Um, gosh, what were we talking about? I'm getting old. I always forget things as we're talking. We're talking about the the contract and the negotiation, how it works. But yeah, it's it's all of them at once. It's all of them against us, um, and they're trying to look out to save as much money as they can. But oh, wish list. Yeah. So wishlist. so we we just want to increase. Um, we want to bring back some benefits that we used to have too. So me as a 25 year officer. I get longevity pay, and longevity is basically, for the people that don't know, hey, we're going to give you an extra amount of money just for being here, and the longer you're here, we're going to continue to increase that number. And it was a very good hiring perk, very good hiring perk. Uh, And in 2011, the agency got rid of it, and it has never come back. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of officers that are, let's say you and I were working in a patrol car together, risking our lives the same, taking the Mm -hmm. same risks together, uh, but you're getting two or $300 less a check than I am just because I hired on at a different time. And so we want to bring that back for these young officers. We want to make it something where we can make our police department the place that people want to come to as opposed to leave. Uh, we, have a, we have a lot of people that leave uh, well before they probably should. And so we've got to figure out ways to keep them here and keep our numbers going up so that we have the amount of people um, protecting the city that we need. That sounds like a great strategy. I heard something... I'll- similar to that with the teachers in town too. There's an incentive for new teachers coming on and some of these veteran teachers, they're like, we don't get the perks. Like, why are we sticking around here? We're just going to leave or leave for a year and then sign up again. Like, it's just, it's a game and it's, it's not fair or good. Same with nursing. Like there's a lot of travel nurses. They make a ton of money just traveling around, but then the people that are there every day dealing with the same grind, they're not getting the same type of pay. So it's all the frontline people, like the very, very critical people were kind of getting shortchanged. I was talking so. to someone two days ago, I think it was. We were talking about uh, you know the workforce, and we are talking about take Walmart. Uh, so the, the, the top echelon, and, and I don't knock those folks, but the top echelon of Walmart make a lot of money. Uh, but they lose sight that the minimum wage, $10 an hour person, is really what makes your business go. The person that's putting food in the bags, the person that's stocking the shelves, those are the folks that make your business and make you the ability to make all that money. And our issue is the same. We forget that if we don't have police officers on the street, you have a city that doesn't run, Vegas or not. You ain't, You will not put people in hotels. Hotels will pack up and leave because you have no protection. And so you have to remember that. So whenever I hear people go, oh, you're, you're paid well enough. Now, nah, what's well enough? You know, uh, Officer Ty was killed in the line of duty. Was that well enough for the money he was making to tell his his daughter, I won't see you again? You know, 
when you wear a bulletproof vest and have to carry a gun to go do your job, there should be a lot more pay associated with that for the risk you're assuming. Uh, and it, it, it just, it, people do lose sight of the fact that it is the boots on the ground that make things run and not, not necessarily the upper echelon. And we're hoping that Sheriff McMahill understands that. I think mm-hmm. he does. Uh, but now we've got to convince the city and the county to understand that. So, Right. And it's interesting because you spent so much time in the field. So you probably haven't lost sight of that. And you're, you're basically still in touch with the day-to-day stuff. You're dealing with your members every day that are on the field. You're emerged in it, even though you're not necessarily out in the field yourself. And a lot of people who are involved in the decision making, they're probably very, very removed. It's been a long time since some of them have been at the front line doing whatever it is they did before they were in politics and whatnot. So I'm sure that is a challenge. It's it's so I have been out of the I have been out of the game of a black and white of pushing a, a patrol sled for gosh, sixteen years. Um, but I stay in touch with the ones that do and I ask them what are their challenges that they face. I ask them how they think they could better impact crime in our community and help our citizen a lot better. Uh, I don't think our upper echelon sometimes shares that. They think they already know the answer. And a lot of them, because I've been around so long, I know, really didn't do much as a cop. They weren't out there banging the pavement and being that proactive. They were hiding in administrative places. Let me test to promote, and then I'll start telling people what to do. And they're afraid to ask of the opinion of the line worker. Uh, Take a hospital. You know, Mm. the the ladies in the ERs, the nurses in the ERs, my mother was a heart care nurse for 30-some-odd years at Sunrise out here and uh, just an amazing lady. And back then, the doctors knew that that's who I leaned on. The The ones that drove the ship were those mm-hmm. nurses. Uh, they weren't pompous. They weren't uh, dismissive of them. Now you start to see a little bit of a change. There's some attitude in some of the doctors that treat the nurses a certain way. I had words with a doctor at uh, Sunrise Hospital once the way he was talking to a nurse. Uh, and it wasn't anything really involving me, but it just wasn't right. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta stay in touch with the people that keep the machine moving and the people that keep the machine moving are down here mm-hmm. and you can't lose sight of that. Yeah. I feel like we need to make a call to action here, like call them out on, it's like the undercover boss, you know, that show <laughs> Yes. where they, you take the, the executives and they have to go work, you know, the front. Sure. Like the Walmarts, right at the front, the, being the greeter. That's what needs to happen. Right, well, well, there you go. We need uh, to call them out. You know who those people are, so maybe you need to send some anonymous texts or use your network to like get them <laughs> shook up and at the front lines doing what they need to do. To they, they you, you know, know what, Sheriff McMahill's doing a lot more of that. He's that's he's good. he's having some of the upper brass go out on patrol ride-alongs, making them go to different area commands to see what it's like, um, and Great. hopefully the folks are taken back some realities of what's going on out there. You know, when I was a cop working the streets, we maybe had 2,500 calls a night, and that was a lot to us. Uh, Now they're having 7,000 calls a night. They don't get a chance to take a lunch break a lot of times. Uh, They don't get to leave early. They don't come in late. It is a grind for 10 hours a day. Uh, It may be more if they're stuck on a call late. And, uh, you know, folks got to recognize that things have changed, and the folks out there are really doing a a wonderful job, and now we got to take care of them. Mm Mm-hmm. So how is the powers that be supporting the families and, and providing additional service if something happens to a police officer? So uh, through our charity, and I can only speak of our charity, the Law Enforcement Assistance Fund, um, it, we have a, a, the main driving goal of the Law Enforcement Assistance Fund, and we affectionately call it LEAF, um, is that uh, if an officer is killed in the line of duty, uh, we will stay involved in the children's life and the uh, surviving spouse's life um, with birthday presents, Christmas presents, graduation presents, wedding presents. Uh, but the big thing is, is if they want to go to college, we pay for it. We pay for room, board, food, tuition, books. They don't spend a dime. All they do is send us what they spent, and we pay it, pay the difference. Um, or not the difference. We pay the whole thing. The surviving spouse, if they want to go back to college, We'll pay for that as well. So we're uh, right now we have several people in our program, unfortunately, um, but it's we're very happy that we could put these kids through college and take that burden off the family. We have a future goal of being able to have enough money in our charity that um, if a police officer is killed in the line of duty, 
we can pay off the mortgage for the surviving spouse so we can take another bill off of their plate that they don't have to worry about. So is there no additional support already provided in their contract to take care of that? So really? No, un unfortunately, no. Um, the, the department doesn't have a contractual obligation to do anything. Um, they, they provide them a life insurance policy for mm -hmm. being a member of the police department, but it kind of ends there. Um, we celebrate our officers once a year at Police Memorial Week up in Carson City uh, and down here, uh, but that's kind of kind of the end of it. Um, I do hope that Sheriff McMahill kind of changes that, um, and I think he will. He, he really cares, uh, but as of right now, the only thing that stays involved is us, and so it's important to me to keep our charity thriving and doing very well. And you are having a fundraiser for this charity. Yes. Coming up. And this is the second annual-ish? You know, kind of. <laughs> so it, as we were talking, uh, so there was a, a police versus fire charity, tackle, and it's tackle football, just so everyone's clear that it's it's not uh, flag football. These guys are wearing helmets, shoulder pads. It's legit. Um, but back in the 70s, it was 1974, they played their first game. And they had a young lady for the that was the daughter of a fireman, and she had to get dialysis. There were no dialysis machines here in the, in Las Vegas, so they had to drive to Utah every weekend to get her treatment. So they said, hey, why don't we play to see if we can raise enough money to get a dialysis machine at the local hospital? They were able to buy three. So every year, they played for some cause. Uh, then in 1983, that was the last time they played that game, and my father was actually in that game. Um, people started to have their hand out when they found out how much money they were raising. Uh, so instead of doing things for charity, they were charging them. Well, it'll cost, you know, 5000 to do a program. Oh, you have to rent the, the field to play football. It'll cost you this. So then it got, you know, it, it wasn't helpful to a charity move anymore because they weren't making any money. So they stopped the game. So last year I was uh, thinking about our charity, walking through my office, and I saw an old flyer for the football game. And I'm a lifelong football fan, player. Uh, I almost went to Dartmouth University to play football, and, and I did well in academics. Um, but... Uh, so I saw this and I said, well, gosh, why can't we try and get this game back off the ground? And this was probably middle of February. And by May 7th, we would played the game. Uh, we raised about $130,000 in that short amount of time. Uh, and, and we kicked the crap out of the firemen. It was 34 to 0. It was so great. Everyone thinks the firemen are in shape and they're athletes. And oh, no. No, we, we could have beat them worse, but... Uh, oh, yeah. my God, you are totally shitting on them. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. There's yeah. like a little rivalry. They Listen, the fire... But they're all members. Like, you have fire... Yeah, the fire department has their unions and that, but, uh, you know, they they beat us in baseball. They beat us in hockey. Uh, I think they beat us in po or, uh, calendar sales. Uh, they beat us in everything. <laughs> calendar sales. Uh, yeah, boot drives. Classic. You know, we yeah. don't stand out with boots and that, but uh, so... It was nice to uh, put a little a little spanking on them in the football game. So uh, our our folks our our side was very happy, very proud, and uh, we're hoping to do the same this year. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. A little spanking. <laughs> so it's May sixth. Yes. It's at Bishop Gorman. Yes. And we can find the details tomorrow. Hopefully, yes. the website will be up and you can get the tickets. Yes, yes. Uh, LVPPA.com. Uh, the front banner should be a link to click on for the football game. If not, you can call up to the office at 702-384-8692 and uh, they can get you the information on where to go from there. But it's going to be a great event. Uh, there's a lot of people involved in this. VGK, the Raiders, UFC, Station Casinos, PT's Gaming. Like Every, every big wig is involved in helping us out. And so we're, we're super blessed to have the support for our first responders that we've gotten. And uh, because the planning is so uh, daunting, I'll just be happy when the game is over. Yeah, I'm sure. And you have some pretty cool guests that are going to be there potentially. Yeah. Oh, we, partly we, confirmed. Can you say any of them? You told me before, and I want to say them all. No, I. I ah. Because because what happens is I say it, and then they're like, "Hey, I bought a ticket. Where is?" And I go, "Yeah, you know, it couldn't make it." You mm -hmm. know. Well, um, I'm going to just say not the names, but there are some pretty awesome people that are going to be showing up. So you guys cannot miss this. And there are general admission and VIP tickets. Is is that right? Correct. Yes. And tell me about the VIP. You want to sell me on the VIP. All right, come so, on, Steve. Let's see. So sell listen, me if, on it. If, if you're anybody who's anybody, if you come to this game, there's no reason that you're not in the VIP section. So the VIP section is uh, at Bishop Gorman in the south end zone. They have a two-story structure. 
The lower half is their weight room for the football team only. Uh, the upper half is basically a, a giant banquet-type area that overlooks the football field with a balcony out there. Uh, in there, we're going to have uh, Charles Woodson's going to have his whiskey is going to be in there. We're going to have a full bar. Uh, we're going to we're hoping on catering from uh, one of our local restaurants. It's going to take care of the catering. We're going to hopefully have the Raider cheerleaders, some of those celebrities uh, types and former NFL folks that we had talked about uh, being there. And so the whole vibe in there is just going to be kind of top notch, uh, especially for a little football game like the police versus fire. Uh, we're going to do a, a free raffle. You don't have to buy tickets. If you buy a ticket to the VIP, you're going to be given a raffle ticket. We have a signed uh, Josh Jacobs jersey. Thank you to the Raiders. Uh, we have a signed VGK jersey. Our game is actually sponsored too. Our naming sponsor is George Maloof and Drink Aid. Um, he got us a game signed jersey. Uh, we've got a basketball from Coach Kruger, a football from Coach uh, new Coach Odom. Uh, and I think there's a business that wants to give away a, a case or a box of cigars. No extra charge, just for being in the VIP. And then you can watch the game from the balcony, right outside the south end zone, looking over the field goal post. If we're going that way, there's going to be a ton of scoring. If the firemen are going that way, you're not going to see much. They're going to be at the other end of the field because they won't move uh, very much. Um, And then after the game, we're hoping to keep it open, too, for another couple hours and enjoy ourselves up there and have a really good time. So Bishop Gorman has been amazing. Uh, Shout out to uh, my supporter. He knows who he is. Uh, for getting us in there and getting the red carpet rolled out for whatever we need. So it's going to be very, very fun. Important question. Are you playing? Goodness gracious. So, no, I'm too old. Um, people ask me that all the time. And, and last year they said, Steve, are you playing? I said, no, because I want to win. And so all my guys are younger. Uh, I have a guy that used to play in the NFL. He played offensive line in the NFL. My quarterback was a quarterback at UNLV, uh, can put the ball wherever he wants. Our wide receivers are former college players. Most of my team is all former college. Um, so we have a very good team, and the firemen know it. Um, I hope they have better players this year, so we'll see. it. But it's going to be a great time for the charities that are involved, and we just can't wait. I can't forget to name the Children's Heart Foundation. Uh, not a huge group, not something that a lot of people know about, but they're doing great things for kids born with uh, heart defects and how the care for them, their families, helping get them to places. So just it's just a great event all around, and we're just so happy to run it and be a part of it, and we thank everybody that supports it. That's great. That sounds like a fun time. I will be there. I love it. For sure. I love it. VIP all the way. Sold one. We just sold one. At Della. I sold one ticket. <laughs> It's a pre-sale. Yeah, the tickets aren't <laughs> even sold, and, and I'm I'm scooping one up. So I want to go back to a little bit what we were talking about before, mental illness mm-hmm. and how you guys have to deal with that, or at least the front lines. I mean, that's a big deal. I don't know how bad it's gotten post-pandemic with more homeless people in the street, and we talked a little bit about how a good percentage, it was anywhere between 75 and maybe 90% of the homeless were people suffering with mental illness. Um, It might be a little bit skewed now just because, you know, with the pandemic, more people just lost their homes um, for unforeseen circumstances and, and, you know, just the pandemic. We all know there's no explanation needed. So how, how do your first year police officers get trained to deal with people who are mentally ill or unstable? So they, uh, they spend a good chunk of their uh, academy time, their first six months when they're in a police academy, learning about interaction with uh, mentally ill and uh, unhoused folks and w- what resources are available and what we could be doing and what we should be doing. Um, there was a, a big push, uh, we know, when the George Floyd inc- incident happened, of uh, people talking about defund the police. Uh, and, and I really think that people were misguided on what they were saying in a, in a way. Um, we can use the help out there. We can use uh, mental health counselors and people that can get resources to these folks that are unfortunately mentally ill. Uh, mental illness affects a lot of people, whether you see it or not. Um, my own department probably thinks I'm mentally ill, and they might be half right. Uh, but, uh, you know. We it, need an evaluation. Yeah. <laughs> Calling for an evaluation. Um, but but it, it, it it's real, and we don't like arresting our way out of it because that doesn't do any good. The jail holds them for X amount of time, then they kick them out, but then this poor person still needs some help. So when they were talking defund the police, we kept yelling overfund the police. I want to make sure if you, the mental health person, is going to go talk to this potentially mentally ill person, well, the first thing we got to make sure is that you're safe. We, when they were talking about, well, hey, if there's a mentally ill person, let's send a counselor. That's not going to work because, one, that person is not in their right mind. And if we acknowledge that and we know that, 
there's a potential for violence to happen, and you're not equipped to deal with that. So the police go, and we make sure the scene is safe. We do everything, our, our conversations with them, making sure that we can get them to a safe place in their mind to now have a good conversation with you or go get help with you or go get the resources needed. So to me, it was always necessary to be an overinvestment in law enforcement and then consider the mental health part part of law enforcement. You know, we're, we're enforcing different laws. Not all the laws have to be a criminal nature. Like some of the laws can just be some of the things that we are charged with as human beings to help others. And we want to do that type of stuff. And so, you know, we're, we're totally open for more help, especially in those cases with, you know, even people dealing with, you know, drug addiction. However they came upon it, uh, they're there. And so is putting them in jail do anything? No. It, the, it, heck, unfortunately, there's probably more jail, more dope in jail than there is out on the streets accessible to them because people sneak dope in. You got to treat it. You got to really give it a shot to give them a chance at a good life. Um, and I think with wherever you fall on politics and, you know, we send $60 billion to another country, when we got people with mental illness, homeless vets that are out here on our own roads that we're, we're just pushing aside, there's young ladies and their mothers in, in group homes because they have nowhere to live, and we just push them aside. But let's send $60, $60 billion to someone else. Uh, I'm all about being humanitarian and helping other countries when we can, but we got problems here that we've got to deal with, and, and it takes money. And we got to have that money to go out there and impact those lives. And so, um, yeah, for us in law enforcement, we would love to help. We want to help those people and get them on the right path to being as normal as possible. I love that you said you're integrating or you would want to integrate basically like a whole mental health division within your force. I mean, because there really seems like there's those branches. I mean, you have the healthy minds and you have the non-healthy minds and then you, you know, you have, there's people who make mistakes or they have their, you know, the, I would call them the more minor law breaking, like the, on the roads, they're speeding or whatever. They're not like criminal people. They sped for whatever reason. Um, you have the gang people and like the hardcore, you know, that whole subsection of humanity. And then you have the people that are not in the right mind. So I'm sure there's some support systems in place or a whole sort of division dedicated to the gangs and that sort of, right, handling sure, that. absolutely. But is there nothing nothing for people who have mental illness like are there any healthcare professionals within your or health health mental health services within your division at this time so we've we've started um a few years ago i want to say the uh, it's the uh, hot team the, and they they call it the the homeless outreach team um okay. trying to go out and, and help the the unhoused folks um with figuring out some resources and things like that um but not everybody that's mentally ill is homeless and so, you know, it's it's in family dynamics. It's at work. Um, I mean, let's look at the, unfortunately, the recent shooting at the bank. I mean, that person just got notified that they were going to be fired. And, uh, and he came back and opened fire on everyone. That's There's something wrong there, right? So it's not a, just a homeless thing. It, it's not a drug addict thing. Um, and so you, you got to have those other resources to go, hey, how do we, how do we marry up? A person like that, what type of call are we going on? Hey, we're going on. Mom calling in says son is schizophrenic and she can't control him right now. Okay, boom. That should trigger not just us, but our partner in mental health. And so when we get there, we make it safe. We try and calm them down. We deal with the scene. But now we've got that resource right there with us to say, hey, help us now. Like We know how to enforce the law, but I don't know how to talk them through what's going on. I don't know where to send them. I don't want to just commit them. You know, uh, it's not a crime to be crazy. And we used to say it a lot in police work. It's not a crime to be crazy, you know. We'd mm -hmm. get people calling in. Hey, there's a young lady walking around the street talking to herself. That's not a crime. Like, the, and, and she's clothed. She's not malnourished. She, she just has something wrong. So we don't take them to jail. But forever, that was always our own out. And so the mm -hmm. police were always blamed. Like, hey, all you're doing is arresting your way out of situations. Well, we have no other resources. And we're, we're not equipped to do anything other than that to try and deal with the problem that we have. And it does them no good. And so we got to figure out new innovative ways to try and help those folks. And, and it's not just that homeless out, uh, subset. It's everywhere. It's across the board. And that's why I think as I go out and I talk to my officers across the department, they're all game for that. They, they don't want to be arresting everybody. They'd like to truly get people help so that 
we can focus on the real pe- the gang members, the robbers and the murderers and those folks. Let's go after the real ones instead of having to deal with those poor folks that just need some help. Right. So what happens with them right now? You know, with the, the at least with the, the homeless outreach team, uh, they, they have some uh, services that go out to work with them. But their goal is just to find those groups that are, you know, an encampment or whatever um, and try and go work those resources. Right now for our, our regular officers, it's pretty much if I have a reason to do what's called the legal 2000 on mm-hmm. you, which is a committal, um, then that's the best route they can go. Other than that, it's, you know, mom, dad, I'm sorry, but you got to deal with your son or your daughter. So what if someone has a psychotic episode and they break the law? They're totally in, totally psychotic in that moment. What do you do as a police officer? Like, more, sure, more than likely, if, if they've broken the law, they're going to take them to jail. More than likely. Now, that doesn't mean that's the right avenue we go. Um, but again, what's available to us, you know? Um, and again, depending on what happens, you know, I mean, if, if they just committed a shooting, well, we're not going to just take them to the hospital. Um, we have the ability to try, and a lot of times our officers try and talk people into going to the hospital. Uh, they really do the best they can to say, hey, you, I'd rather you go here than have to take you to jail. That's not what we're focused on. We'd like you to go here. Um, but we don't have anybody out in the field right now with us that can give us the guidance on, hey, Steve, this is where we're going to call. We're going to call this group. We're going to get them transported there. And that's where they're going to go get some initial counseling, some initial help. And it may be something where they're going to be there for a few days, but it's not necessarily the hospital. Uh, I've seen far too many times that the Legal 2000, by the time the person has been dropped off and we have gotten in our car to drive away, they're already released. No. Because they told the doctor, listen, I'm no real danger to myself. Uh, I just said that because I was mad at my mom. I was mad at my girlfriend. I just said, it. oh, okay, great. Kick them out. Why do they kick them out? Because they're already overrun with patients and beds. And so let's just let's just get them out of here. Um, sorry, that's fine. I apologize. Um, but uh, so it, it's it, it and it causes another call for us eventually later. They're gonna go back and they're gonna have the same issue. So um, trying to figure those things out is the the best thing for us. Steve, you didn't shut your phone off. You know what? I put it when you said I'm gonna put the. Uh, I don't know technology that great. The do not focus disturb. mode. Yeah, the yeah, the focus mode. Disturb. Yeah, I was like, oh, I wish I knew how to do that. I'll show you after. I could just it's yell. too late now. You already interrupted the whole podcast, I, I but like, I'll show you just to be kind. That's, <laughs> oh, thank you. that's my service. Th- to there, you. You, there you go. There you go. Free VIP ticket just for showing me how to use Siri or whatever. It is. <laughs> Settings. Scroll down. No, that's right. I got you. Um, well, no, that's that's great. I absolutely love that. As you know, mental health is something that near and dear to my heart. Um, worked in mental illness, saw a lot of crazy things. People dual diagnosis, saw like the whole narcotics um, crazy stuff. It's it's definitely um, something that needs to be married with the the police force because it it's. I remember being a clinician, actually seeing someone in my clinic in the far hall at the end of the hall my little like cubicle it's my room but it was like at the end it was kind of crazy and uh there's a guy shackled came in the officer was outside the door but he was like you know had bipolar the whole thing he was still very symptomatic and i just remember going this guy committed a massive crime he went in and i could only imagine how he was affecting all of the other people in jail with him because he was not present at all, having psychotic episodes, like, you know, saw blood dripping on the wall behind me, uh, you know, splitting person. Like, it was insane. And I'm just like, this is broken. Like, this person should not be, yes, he committed a crime. I understand that. And the whole thing that, you know, there's, he has to be accountable. But he had been in, he had his jumpsuit, the whole thing. Like, it, it was a long time before he got in to see me. I could only imagine how much more burdening a person, one individual that's that sick, is to the whole system on top of it. Like, you don't have the infrastructure to deal with that. No. And, and you know, you can speak to this from, from the clinical side. Uh, mental illnesses like cancer, the earlier we can catch it, the better it is to help it. Um, and so you take the person you're talking about, 
well, how long has he been that way? And who missed steps along the way to try and say, hey, maybe he never gets to where he's in shackles and he's committing all these crimes. How do we recognize, you know, I, I, I'm sure when I was young um, and my father, uh, people would just, ah, he's just, he's just uh, acting out. Well, now we've kind of learned a little more that, well, no, it's not, it's not acting out, is it? Like, I'd be a little op more open-minded. Uh, maybe there's something really wrong here. And so let's go the route of trying to see if there is and, and give it a shot. Because if we can catch it early enough, we can diagnose it early enough, um, maybe you can help it. And because the person's also, and you can speak to this better than I, I'm no doctor. Um, I played one on TV, but that was it. Um, and shout out again to S Sesame Street. I was a doctor on the show. Um, but... Uh, you know, when, when you can get a hold of somebody early on and start working them through recognizing what they're going through, because like you said, they see blood on the walls. There's blood on the walls. It's not fictitious. It's there. Mm -hmm. But to get them, I love the movie A Beautiful Mind. You seen? Yes. Okay. How finally he recognizes, yeah, they never went away. They're there, but I now know they're not there. I'm never not going to see them, but I'm not going to pay them any attention. Right. And, and. That type of stuff needs to happen far more. Help them recognize what they're seeing. Help them recognize uh, what they're doing. The obsessive compulsive disorders and, and those those ideologies of doing crazy things. Uh, help help people understand that it's not going to go away. You just need to recognize that when it comes, how do I deal with it? And mm -hmm. it's not real. Um, and we see that in law enforcement, and, and it could help us out immensely if we could try and help people out uh, early on. Yeah. I totally support you on that. Anything I could do to help. I mean, this is, I, I, feel, I feel some inspiration coming <laughs> to, uh, to be of support in, in making this happen in some way. Because it's, it's definitely, I've seen it on the medical and the clinical side. Now I'm hearing it from your side. It really, there needs to be a bridging. Absolutely. So it's great. We came up with some solutions today. There you I go. I love it. There we you need go. to use some of your billboards maybe. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, for the next month, they're going to be running the football ad. But after that, they're, they're all yours. That sounds good. Awesome. Well, I think we covered a lot today. Yes. This is fantastic. So all of you go to the website, which is? LVPPA.com. Tomorrow, possibly, or call the number? 702-384-8692. Get your VIP tickets. See some celebrities and some former NFL players and Watch the firefighters get their butts kicked. And hang out with Leslie in the VIP. That, that's, that's the ultimate uh, <laughs> ticket right there. Oh, you're too kind. All right. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time.